This morning's scripture is taken from Mark 3, 19 to 32. Then he went home, and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, He has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. For his end has come. For no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, He has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brother and sisters are outside asking for you. God add his blessing to his word. It's a delight this morning to have Dr. Roy Medley with us. And before he brings us the word of the Lord, I wanted to uh, introduce him to you. And uh, Roy and I had breakfast together today. Actually, we were in Florida together for a day or yes. two as well. And uh, so, Roy, it's really a privilege to have you here. Let me say a word. As American Baptist Church, uh, you may or may not be familiar with how we do things, but we elect someone as the leader of our denomination, and we call that person a general secretary. And Roy often says, I don't know whether I'm a general or a secretary, but uh, more, more secretary probably. Both days, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but anyhow, that's uh, his role as the leader of our denomination. Roy, where did you grow up? Grew up in Georgia. Georgia. I have never been there. Oh, you're, you're missing a wonderful place. <laughs> um, tell me, if you go back to your childhood, maybe a boy of 10 or 11 mm-hmm. or 12, what would you do for fun? In Georgia as a boy. Oh, I tell you, there were a lot of things that we'd do. Fishing. I'd love to go fishing with my granddaddy. We'd often do that. Uh, we'd even uh, get on the back of young heifers and, and, uh, and ride, ride uh, on calves and all. So yeah. there are a lot of things you do in a rural area that, uh, that were a lot of fun that probably people in Pasadena don't do. But, probably uh, not. Yeah. But we had a lot of fun. You could bring that uh, and uh, ride a cow on the doodah parade down the street. They would well, no, probably the, allow that, that right? That might be true. Huh? <laughs> a new idea. Um, and after, after Georgia, you went off to seminary and school, and uh, right. you've been a pastor, I, I know. Yes. Um, one other th- question to ask you, and then uh, we'll let you bring the word of the Lord. Mm. Can you pretend real well? <laughs> Some days. Some days. Some days I pretend I know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> Okay, very good. Uh, I've been there. 
So pretend with me a minute. Pretend okay. that uh, First Baptist Church doesn't. It's not a gold card. That'd be cheap. But we have mm. a platinum card. Okay. A platinum Visa card, mm. and we give it to you for six months. And it's not. You don't have to pay it back. We're going to take care of it. And uh, we make arrangements with the general board. You don't have to travel all. Of, Across the country for okay. six months, so you have your own time. You have a platinum card to cover expenses. What would you do? Oh, what would I do with a platinum card? And six months. And six months. Sounds like sabbatical to me. Yeah. Sounds like a great time to do some study, to invest myself in doing some hands-on mission that I'd love to do uh, from time to time. And wonderful time to spend time with my Florida in the Bahamas, maybe. Okay. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, maybe maybe yet another question. Tell us just briefly. You're married and... Uh, right. I'm married to Pat Medley. She's a, a pastor at Hope Lutheran Church in Freehold. Uh-huh. We have two sons. Uh, our older son, uh, Ethan, works with the New York Giants. We hope that his brother's win kind of spurs him on, you know. This, uh, spurs Eli Manning on this year yeah. with the New York Giants, and they wind up in the Super Bowl. And then our younger son is uh, 16, and... He's a, a sophomore in high school. Great. Well, thank you again, Roy, for being with us. Oh, Lord bless you, you as you, you too, bring us the word Steve. of the Lord. Thank you. So. Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you and to, especially to be here on a day when you celebrate baptism. Uh, that's always so exciting to me. One of the things that I grew up with was river baptisms. Uh, in the South, as uh, we uh, we would sing, "Shall we gather at the river?" and we did uh, to perform baptisms, and it was always a very, very powerful moment, just as it was this morning, as we watch people profess their faith in Christ Jesus. I want to say a, a word about a, a, a gentleman who worships with you regularly, who's a member here, and that's Dr. Robert Campbell. I had the pleasure of knowing Dr. Campbell when he was general secretary, and I was on our uh, home mission staff, worked with our Christian center work. Uh, Bob and Lotus were two of the most cordial and uh, giving people that, uh, that I knew. And it was a pleasure to work with Dr. Campbell. He brought... Uh, uh, out of his academic background, a strong ability in terms of New Testament exegesis. He brought that scholarship to bear on his leadership, as well as a deep love for this whole family. It's just always been a pleasure to work alongside of, uh, of Dr. Campbell. And it's just so good to see you again this morning, to be here with you. We're grateful for the role that your pastor, uh, Steve Hasper, has played as he was uh, president of the Board of International Ministries of the denomination. Dave Scholler has also served on our general board. And we recently had Glenn Stassen come and speak to us on the theme of discipleship. When I became general secretary, the theme that I introduced in terms of a vision for our denomination is being centered in Christ. And out of that, a commitment to radical discipleship, discipleship that goes to the very heart, to the very root of who we are as people. And out of that has come a vision for us that when we talk about our local congregations, we talk about healthy missional churches, nurturing devoted disciples of Jesus Christ, 
who live their lives in mission and ministry for the healing of the world through the love of God. That is our desire for every congregation, to be a place where you grow in your faith in Christ Jesus in a rich and deep personal way. And then that, that love of God that fills your heart then moves out into the life of the world to bless others. I've been here this week for the inauguration of what is known as the uh, Christian Churches Together. It is the broadest ecumenical table in this country at this time. It has Pentecostal holiness, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, mainline Protestants, and evangelicals all sitting in the same room together. We spent four days this week talking about evangelism and poverty because of our common commitment to follow Christ Jesus. My prayer for you is that as a congregation that uh, you will join with us in seeking to, to disciple and to send forth into the world those who have experienced God's love in order that the world might know that same love in its life as well. I want to thank you for your wonderful support of our mission work, both here within the U.S. and overseas. It is something that we're very proud of, and I know that you're keenly aware of that. But I just want to say thank you for your support of us. This morning, I want to speak around the theme of discipleship because it is central to who we are as Baptists and particularly as American Baptists. But would you bow with me in prayer? Oh God, as we come before you this day, we give you thanks for those who have begun their walk with you through the waters of baptism this day. We pray a special blessing upon them that they might continue to find joy and encouragement in their walk with you. And that as you are the center of their lives, that they will find in you refreshment and renewal and a sense of call that propels them into the life of the world itself to be the ambassadors of your gospel. And may that, may that be true for us as well. Bless this congregation and its pastoral leadership. May they continue to grow in strength, in outreach, and in service to you and to the world. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. When I was a youth pastor, I had one of my youth come come up to me one day. I think he'd been watching maybe too much TV or something because he had he had gotten these these impressions about what the Holy Spirit did in your life. It was a a time when uh, a lot of the movies about possession were coming out, and he came to me with a very serious question on his heart. He said to me, he said, Reverend Roy, he said, does the Holy Spirit make you do crazy things? Does the Holy Spirit make you do crazy things? And I had, to, I had to think for a while, how do I respond? And finally I said to him, only if you think Jesus was crazy. 
Because the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to form us into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. So if you think Jesus did crazy things, you're going to do crazy things as well. Crazy like Jesus. It's clear from the New Testament passage we read this morning that those who were in opposition to Jesus felt that he had gone over the edge. Certainly the things that he claimed about himself and his relationship to God were enough to make some people wonder whether he had slipped out of reality. I mean, after all, who was he? He was from the hill country. Back home we would have said he was a hillbilly. Came from the hill country, was trained to be a carpenter, not a rabbi. And yet here he was acting, uh, acting as an itinerant preacher, going around speaking of his relationship in terms of father and son, claiming for himself things that were extraordinary. Certainly, many people thought that he had gone over the edge and was crazy. And there was other evidence as well. I mean, it meant nothing to him whether you were Jew or Gentile or Samaritan. It didn't matter to him. It didn't matter to him whether you were male or female. It didn't matter to him whether you were ritually clean or unclean. He would sit and he would speak with women as well as with men. He would touch those who, for any other person, would consider it to be defilement to them, preventing them from worshiping in the temple. Those things just didn't matter to him. His family and others began to think that he was crazy. Perhaps you and I should be a little crazier too. huh? The goal of radical discipleship is to call, nurture, and empower disciples who are crazy like Jesus. Crazy with love and grace for the outcast and those who stray. Crazy with concern for the poor and the lame. Crazy with forgiveness for the sinful and condemned. Crazy for the things of God. Crazy to serve rather than to dominate. Growing up, I was influenced by a number of people who were radical disciples, who for me set forth a a vision of what it meant to follow Jesus and be crazy like Jesus. They were people like Will Campbell and Clarence Jordan, Martin Luther King Jr. and Billy Graham. And as I grew and studied, that group grew to include people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Walter Rauschenbusch. Bishop Tutu and Tony Campolo and James Dunn. People whose witness moved and challenged me because of their courage, because of their love of Christ and their willingness to challenge the tenor of their times because of that love that they found in him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer challenged a cultural Christianity which had become subservient to German nationalism and Nazi ideology. A brilliant theologian, he could have remained in relative security and safety teaching at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, 
with the outbreak of the Second World War. But Bonhoeffer chose to return to Germany to identify with the confessing church in Germany, those who stood against the Nazi ideology, those who refused to be compromised in their Christian faith to that ideology. He lost his life because of his courage and his willingness to stand against the machinery of death of that regime. He lost his life, but not his soul, because Dietrich Bonhoeffer dared to be crazy like Jesus. As a pastor in the Hell's Kitchen area of New York City at the turn of the 20th century, Walter Rauschenbusch saw clearly in the lives of his parishioners and in the life of his community the ravages of a laissez-faire capitalism that had no conscience and that was powered by greed. He served workers whose health was broken by the conditions in their factories. He tended to mothers whose children went hungry every day. And he ministered with those same children and youth whose days were spent not in school and on the playground, but whose days were spent laboring in the factories of the city. Rauschenbusch could not be silent in the face of so much suffering. And with the prophet's voice, he spoke truth to power. He challenged the easy conscience of a nation and called the church to a radical love for the poor and for the oppressed. He called us to express our love and justice. Walter Rauschenbusch dared to be crazy like Jesus. Billy Graham Billy Graham, as he responded to the call of God upon his life and began to hold crusades across this country, calling people to faith in Christ Jesus, was laughed at and scorned by many in the life of the church, who said, he's no theologian. What in the world is he doing? And yet Billy Graham persisted in his call and in his ministry, and through him... Thousands upon thousands have found a closer walk with Christ Jesus. And today he is recognized as an ambassador of our faith around the world. A man who, filled with wisdom, calls each of us to be the best we can be in Christ Jesus. In post-World War II America in the heart of Dixie, where I lived and grew up, in the rural cotton belt of this country. Clarence Jordan was working to build an interracial community of Christians that he came to call Koinonia. Why did he choose southern Georgia, of all places, to build a community where blacks and whites could live together in equality as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't it have been easier if Clarence had begun this experiment in Philadelphia or Chicago or New York City or even Los Angeles? 
places where racial equality was more acceptable, at least in theory, if not in practice. But Jordan Clough chose to form this new community of faith and equality, where the need was greatest and the opposition most furious and determined. In my rural homeland, Jordan took that struggle beyond the confines of South Georgia and other places in this country as well as he spoke, as he translated the, by the New Testament into the Cotton Patch Version. And I tell you, as a Southerner reading the Cotton Patch Version of the Bible, you could no longer see racism at a distance. You came to understand that at the very heart of the gospel was a call to reach across the walls that our society had built up between blacks and whites. Connie Brown, an American Baptist, joined Clarence and that community in the Americas area. And Connie told me that at times when they would leave the farm to go into America to buy what they would need, that people would ignore them at the counters or they would curse them or even spit upon them because of their experiment in Christian equality. But he also told me of a harrowing night when gathered in the farmhouse there in Koinonia. But they heard the sound of cars coming down that country lane. Unusual for a night in Georgia, in rural Georgia of that time, to hear so many cars. Then they heard the sound of the cars turning off the country lane, coming up the drive to the house. And those cars came and they encircled the house and they parked with their headlights pointed towards it. And men in hoods and robes climbed out of those cars with rifles and shotguns, determined to destroy everything that they represented. Connie said that Clarence told them to lie down on the floor as he went outside. And he stood on the porch of that old farmhouse and he looked out at those who had come intending to do them harm. And Connie said his words were very simple. He said to those who had come to kill, we are not afraid because we are children of the resurrection. We are not afraid because we are children of the resurrection. Clarence stood on that porch and looked at them until one by one they began to drop their arms and climb back into their cars and slink away into that Georgia night, put to shame by the courage of one who dared to be crazy like Jesus. 
at the center of the lives of each of these radical disciples was this call of Jesus to come follow me. You can't understand their lives or their values or their willingness to sacrifice apart from understanding that their lives had been captured by this man, Jesus, by his teachings, by his death, by his resurrection. Their imaginations had been filled by his love and the new life that he had made possible for them. Rooted in Christ, centered in Christ, devoted to Christ, their lives took on the essence of His Spirit and ministry, marked by His love. They reached out in solidarity with the poor and the outcast, strengthened by His resurrection power. They challenged the machinery of death, humbled by the cross. They became servants of all, accepting even death for the price of servant leadership. Forgiven. Forgiven, they went in the power of their forgiveness and in its freedom to cross the bounds of their culture in order to extend God's grace and mercy to the despised, to the runaways, to the throwaways, to the go-aways. All because they were crazy like Jesus. Our call as congregations, our our call as communities of faith, as American Baptist churches, is to gather in worship around our Lord Jesus Christ and in service to those in places where there is great need. For us to be a place where radical disciples are formed, where we make disciples who are crazy like Jesus. And to do that, we have a book. Walter Brueggemann calls the Bible our alternative script. Now, we're scripted by a lot of things in our lives. We're scripted by our families. I mean, I grew up being taught, you know, the Browns may do it this way, but this is the way the Medleys do it. I was scripted by the culture in which I grew up. This is the way life is to be. We receive a lot of scripts as we go through life from our families, from our culture, from advertising, all of those messages that come into us and say, this is what life is about. This is what the good life means. I remember driving past a billboard for several months on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. It was an advertisement for a luxury automobile. And the message that it brought to me and to everyone who passed it and read it is this. A strong want is a justifiable need. A strong want is a justifiable need. Scripting. Scripting us in terms of what life means. But in the midst of all of these scripts and texts stands the Bible as God's alternative scripting for us. As we are introduced to Jesus and God's dealing with creation, with God's history working with the Hebrew nation and with the calling of the church, 
we understand that we are called to live life on a different basis, the basis of grace, mercy, love, and peace. This script teaches us that God isn't just good, but that God is love. And God's radical love for us is both the basic basis and the motive force for our radical discipleship. Radical disciples love radically. We don't just have a book. We also have a spirit. And that same spirit which was in Christ Jesus and shaped the lives of Clarence Jordan and Billy Graham and Martin Luther King Jr. shaped the lives of others that we hold up as heroes in the faith. That same spirit is at work among us and in us, shaping us as well. It guides us in living lives as active reconcilers. It calls us to take up the cause of the poor and to be active in the cause of peace. It fills us with patience and kindness and goodness. It convicts us of sin and it assures us of God's pardon. It draws us close to God and it sends us to our neighbor. The Spirit's goal is nothing less than to make you like Jesus. And we have a spiritual DNA as Baptist, centered in Christ, rooted in Scripture, marked by freedom. We as Baptists have emphasized that the heart of radical discipleship is a personal relationship with Christ Jesus, based on our free choice to answer his call to come follow him. Soul freedom, soul competency, we call it in Baptist life. It's at the core of what we believe in terms of the individual's responsibility before God. And out of it has come a great sense of, of the worth of the individual, the respect for conscience, and our stance for religious liberty in the world. And if we have a book and we have a spirit and we have a DNA, we also have a focus as American Baptists, and that is the healing of the world through the love of God. God aches over God's creation. And Christ calls us to that most radical act of discipleship, taking up the cross and entering into the anguish of the world that it might be redeemed through the love of God. It's always struck me that in the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, that his disciples do not recognize him until he shows them the marks of his sacrificial love, the wounds in his hands and in his side and in his feet. Could it be that the world does not recognize us as disciples of Jesus until it sees on us the marks of our sacrificial love for the world? Crazy like Jesus. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the crazier I hope I become. Amen.